1: Episode of the Flyers Talk Podcast. As always, Katie Emmer joined with Jordan Hall. And Jordan, I always toss it to you to give us the wonderful intros to our guests of the episode. And today we are blessed with she's making I I don't even know how many uh, appearances at this point, but we love having her on. She's an important part of our
2: puzzle. Katie, absolutely. We are thrilled to introduce Taryn. Hatcher with a perfect setup, by the way, for those <laughs> listening and not watching. She's got the Oscar Strong shirt and the gritty background. Nothing better than that.
0: Katie and I have talked about this at length on our Instagram live. Just want to give uh, Art of Words a little shout out because this was a gift, but it's very cool. And yeah. um we actually had it downstairs, but everybody thought I was living in Hawaii right now because that's what my room looks like. So I decided to bring Gritty upstairs. Taryn is fresh off of a interview with uh, the assistant
1: coach of the Flyers. A lot of, uh, lot of things I know you catched up with him on, Taryn. And one of them was, um, it's just over a year ago, that April 23rd, 2010 game where he took a slap shot from Paul Martin right off the face, um, which really changed his career entirely. And he took a couple shots that season, but... You talked about a variety of things with him today.
0: Yeah, it's crazy because I was looking up um, – so I was looking up the, the puck-to-the-face incident that's nearly a decade old now, a little bit over a decade old now. Um, and then I came upon another article that was about um, the final game of the regular season that year, which they needed to win that – they played two games against the Rangers, and they had a chance to clinch a spot in the playoffs – um, in the first game against the Rangers and they didn't do that. So it came down literally to the 82nd game of the season. They had to win this game and then they'd be in the seventh spot of the playoffs. And I found this article that I believe Dave Isaac wrote from the perspective of a couple players that played in that game. Um, among them was Danny Breer. So this came up as I was searching for some more, um, like essentially like a refresher on the puck to the face story. Um, and It was so interesting because like two weeks before he took that puck to the face, Lappy in the second period or the first period of that game, I believe um, flyers were down one, nothing got challenged to a fight by Aaron Voros and the flyers were kind of stalling out and needed a spark. And Lappy was just like, you want to fight me in Philly when we're down one, nothing and we need to get something going. Of course I'll fight you. And it got the flyers going and got them back into that game. And I just sat there and I'm thinking about it. And I'm like, it's so bizarre to think now and growing up a Flyers fan that that was Lappy's only season here because he was that guy. He was a guy who would take two pucks to the face in a season. He's a guy who would fight to get his team back into a game left, right, and center. I mean, if you look up Lappy's fights from that year, you could find videos of uh, like, they just seem never ending. And he said, like, yeah, it was just that guy that was just. I always knew that was the type of player I was and didn't matter how old I was. He was 36 years old at that point. Didn't matter how old I got, that was who people needed me to be on a team. And that's who I was. Um, And it's just so bizarre because Lappy is a coach now. He's such a nice guy. He's so easygoing, so laid back. Um, But yeah, he really was. He was just this veteran presence who would put his body on the line, whether it was a puck or a fight or whatever. And the Flyers went on to win that game. And, you know, it got them into the playoffs. Um, and then two weeks later, I think to the day after that, he took that puck to the head. And he, you know, he said it caused a lot of issues for him long-term. But the one to his mouth, which was a different hit, like 90 to a hundred stitches. He said, I think this one was like 60 or 70, but caused like some brain bleeding, everything else. And he just, kind of kept it moving he, he kept trying to pursue a career and um that's just that's Ian Le Perrier. he's and he's just the nicest guy and I think the respect that he garnered as a player made it very easy for him to become a guy who very quickly became a coach because he talked about he played with Claude Giroux like he was on that team with Claude Giroux in 09 2010 And sometimes when players play with a coach and then they have them as a coach, it's not such an easy transition. But I think because of the style of player and the type of person he was, uh, it was a pretty seamless uh, transition for Lappy. But yeah, it's just crazy to think about that year. I mean, every single minute, every single game, they knew this could be the game that eliminates them from playoff contention at all. And then they go to the Stanley cup final and they have that insane series against the Bruins that year. Like, he said it was just an unbelievable team to be a part of. So yeah, that whole interview, we talked him for like 40 minutes because you could talk to Lappy all day about everything, but, um, that will be up at some point. And please go watch it because <laughs> it's, it's so much great stuff. And it's, that was my sophomore year of high school, junior year of high school. So like, for me, it's just, it's such crazy fun memories. And then to sit there and talk to Lappy now, like, it's bizarre. It's just crazy. So if you're like me, and it brings back that childhood nostalgia, it's just such a fun interview to watch um, someone talk about it from a a bit of a different perspective. But yeah, crazy to think he was only on this team for one season. And that was the season.
2: Like, Talk, talk about like seizing opportunity, like, in the NHL, you just never know what one season or one moment could do for your entire career. And like you said, Taryn, Ian Leperrier is a guy that's at the end of his playing career. It's his first season in Philly. He's yeah. not a guy that's going to, you know, score 30 goals and wow you or anything. But he simply goes out there, plays a role, knows exactly what the team expects him to do. And now he parlays it into a career in coaching. He's been in Philly ever since. Um, and, t- and, you know, players love him. And that's why I think we heard so much from different people that, you know, when the penalty kill was struggling before this regime, uh, this new regime, when the penalty kill was struggling, everyone, you know, pinned it on Ian Perrier and how is this guy a coach? All that fun, you know, all that stuff. But uh, the behind the scenes, you hear from a lot of people. I heard from a lot of people that he was a, an incredibly important buffer between player and head coach, and players really enjoyed him. Uh, they really like him. They can relate to him. Uh, they felt like they could voice concerns and frustrations to Ian LaPerriere. And then he would take it to Dave Haxtall and people above him. Uh, and that value isn't really tangible. You don't really see that, you know, in penalty kill numbers or wins and losses as much. That's a vastly important thing for, for coaching staffs and stuff. So I can't wait to hear the interview. People go listen to it at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. I'm amazed by his story and what he did in one season uh, just to do the dirty, you know, the dirty work, the little things. And and he parlayed it into a, into a coaching career. It's just good for him. That's really cool. The dirty
1: work. Yeah. Talk about yeah. two pucks off the face. That's really right? uh, it's really doing your deed. I can only yeah. think, too, guys, like going back to one of my other than Marshawn flubbing on the puck, like Niskanen after that Detroit Red Wings game, just saying, oh, it's really not as bad as it looks and having his whole face ripped open from a shot. I mean, in that, in that moment, I was like, he's proving he's really tough. Talk about a guy that proved he was Philly really tough in one year. Uh, the fans absolutely loving Ian LaPerriere. And now, again, Jordan, you're talking about that life he adds. And Taryn, I know we've all seen this at the Skate Zone. Like, even in practices, just the, the fun that he has out there with these guys. And Jordan, you're talking about just someone that could relate to the players. I mean, this is a guy that I find important. Yes, you have a, a bench of, uh, full of uh, former NHL head coaches. I can't even, I'm like trying to count everything and can't even say it right. Cause yeah, there are three former NHL head coaches. You have that balance, but then you add Ian LaPerriere, who's obviously been there before um, this new head coaching staff. And he just adds that consistency. Um, And, and Taryn, I I know talking with you just, you're filling me in so much. And Jordan, you too, this season and and going to skate zone for my first time, but Taryn, I'll never forget you just really uh, giving me that, that inside with, uh, with Lappy uh, going by his nickname and, How how much do you love just seeing him uh, behind the scenes and from what you see, how much spark and how much fun does he add to this team and make those guys feel comfortable from a head coaching staff? DraftKings has partnered with United Way to help those affected by COVID-19. To join the rally, take a picture of you in a rally cap, post it on social media tagging three friends using the hashtag DKRally. DraftKings will donate $1 to United Way until they reach $1 million. Visit DraftKings.com
0: slash DK Rally for details. The best analogy I can make is Lappy is to the coaching staff and the connection between the coaching staff and the team um, what Kevin Hayes is to the dressing room. They're they're very similar personality. Even though when I talked to Lappy about it, he said really Scott Hartnell was that guy. Like that's the guy. He really feels like Kevin Hayes is like big contract, but still very much man of the people. Sorry, I was just trying to find the exact date on the puck to the mouth. And it was November of 2009 was what I found. Apologies if I was a little distracted. Um, but Lappy really is that guy where he was in player development for a while before he really jumped to the coaching staff. And he even said to me, like a lot of people thought that when AV came in and kept him on, that there was some kind of personal relationship between the two of them that saved his job essentially. And there wasn't, and I don't know this for a fact. I'm not in the interviews. There are the conversations and who got, who remained and who went, but if it's my guess observing Lappy's connection with players, both the young players and the Claude Drews and Jay Borceks of the world, there is no one who has such a comfortable, relatable connection with them. And, you know, as Jordan mentioned, Lappy, Lappy got a lot of flack last year for um, some of the, the pitfalls that that team faced, especially on special teams. But when you talk to Lappy or Michelle Tarian or Mike Yo or Elaine Vigno, they'll tell you, that, those issues weren't really any one person's fault. It wasn't a philosophy type of thing. It was not having, it was having eight goaltenders. Like there's just not that structure that you, that you needed for a winning hockey team. But Lappy's personality is what made him a great player. And it's what makes him a great coach. He, he just kind of gets it. He gets social interaction with people he gets how to treat people he gets how to have authority in a way that's not demeaning like he he's just got to read on the room in a way that you need in a coaching staff and he's also kind of at times that comic relief right um you know he told us and it was actually very cool insight because i don't really think we always get to see us from av but he said you know av comes in every morning to the team room and he's so much more laid back and like kind of funny than most people view him as. Um, And he always goes, how are my favorite people to the team? And, you know, how's everybody doing? How are my favorite people? Whatever. Which is great to hear. But Lappy really is that way to everyone, to fans, to security guards at Wells Fargo Center. Um, And I think that's what's made him such a great coach. I don't even remember what the question is. I went on such a tangent, but I hope that that. No, you me. answered it. You
1: completely answered it. Cause Taryn, you have such a, a background view of just seeing what he adds uh, within the dressing room, within even the hallways before a game, like anything he can bring. Um, and, and just going back to you filling me in about him and like, yeah, he took a puck off the face. This guy is, and I, I knew the background of it, some of the coaching staff, but yeah, you really see it firsthand, like just how important of a piece of, a, to the puzzle he is um, overall for this team.
0: Yeah, and it's fun to watch him and Mike Yo because they're both pretty similar in that sense. Mike Yo is a little bit more reserved. Lappy's very... Like he said, the social distancing is hard for him because he's a, a handshaker and a hugger and he's just this <laughs> lovable personality. So I. I miss um, that. Yeah. Why
1: can't we just hug? I, I can't yeah. wait for hugging to be back, guys.
0: Um, and Mike Yo's a little bit more... Uh, he's got a little bit more restraint. Um, but they're very... It, it makes you feel like you're... They, they feel so much like active hockey players and not like coaches. When you talk to them, they just, they joke around with you. Even us media people, like sometimes there's that, that very clear divide between we are the coaching staff and we don't really mess with the media type of thing. Um, which is healthy, but you know, they'll come out to dinner and, and sit down and chat with us for a little bit. When the broadcasters go out to dinner together and tell war stories from when they were in the league. And, um, yeah, they're just great guys to have on the staff, truthfully. I, I think that that brought the room together for the Flyers as well. Having guys like that who are not so far off from you in the from them, from players in the league currently and how they were raised and how they were brought up within the league. There, it bridges a, a certain gap between player and coach.
2: Yeah, there was a funny time. I remember there was a practice, and this just speaks to uh, kind of what Ian Perrier brings, but uh, like Taryn was saying, the behind-the-scenes stuff, I remember we were at a practice and Elaine Vigneault had just come into the locker room to um, address reporters. And uh, Le Perriere was coming off the ice. And he was coming off a little bit later. And I think Alain Vigneault, had, he had come out for his interview a little bit later. So maybe Le Perriere thought kind of everything was all said and done in the locker room. And uh, Le Perriere by accident, just slipped a massive F-bomb in the hallway <laughs> And as he's walking, he looks through the doors and he sees like a crowd of media around Elaine Vignot. And in his French Canadian voice was like, Oh, sorry. And yeah. AV like laughed and was like, There you go. That, that's the French Canadian. You got to love it. Um, yeah. And we were just cracking up. But that's very much Ian Le Perrier, just fun loving guy that, again, yeah. yeah, brings the locker room together. Um, but, Taryn, I'm also anxious if you can tease, tease the interview a little bit for us. Um, what did Le just dis- discuss um, outside of kind of? His playing days in 2010, did he have anything else on just the current state of the NHL and the Flyers?
0: Yeah, he, um, you know, he, he certainly talked about, I feel like what we're running into with a lot of guys that are either coaching or on this current team that it's so frustrating because the level that the team was playing at when everything went on pause was exactly where they wanted to be. Like, they kind of, I don't know that it was necessarily set up that they would peak at a certain time, but if it was, they were peaking at the perfect time. Um, and what Alain Vigneault had been preaching and what the guys had been buying into really all seemed to really come together. And, um, you know, I bought in from day one, but I think everyone really grew into their role in end of January through February before everything shut down. Um, so he had talked a little bit about that frustration. He said, guys, we're reaching out to him about, uh, getting some cycling workouts in because what they can do is so limited right now. Um, He also gave us a lot of insight into who Alain Vino is, which is something that I really enjoyed because I know like AV is very, um, as suave as he is, he's very intense. And so he definitely is one of those people who has a certain guard up when it comes to media. So even we don't get to know him as a person that well outside of the pontoon boat and golfing and martinis, like, (laughs) He doesn't really want to sit and chat. He he wants to go watch film. He he loves hockey as his life. He loves hockey, but it's so nice when you have uh, a guy like Lappy on who gives you that insight and paints a different picture of a Landino. That was really cool. Um, and then we went through team awards with Lappi, which I really loved because I feel like this year, especially, there were quite a few team awards that you could argue one way or the other, whether it be the Barry Ashby or the Pelly Lindbergh or, you know, they're the heart of the team. There were quite a few guys because so many players took a huge step this year. And it's fun to see it from his perspective because a lot of times, like Lappy's the guy who works out with the scratches. So Lappy's the guy who would have worked out with an Oscar Lindblom last year when he was being scratched, who this year got to see him become – almost like what a coots is on the wing, a a guy who makes other players around him better and whose hockey IQ is on display every game that he played. Um, so that was fun because I think of all the coaches Lappy having had the most time with them. Um, and being a guy who's so invested in development, had a really cool insight into who he thought, you know, who he thought was the heart of the team was pretty interesting. Um, Best defenseman I found interesting because I know I went back and forth between Proberoff and Miskanen in my head. Um, he even made a case for Sanheim. So oh. there's some stuff there. There's some interesting stuff. I mean, he talked to us for 40 minutes. So it's awesome. <laughs> Who knows what's going to get pulled. But um, yeah. yeah, there's a lot of great stuff.
1: Yeah, and I even know uh, you talk about the team awards. I'm anxious to hear, you know, what he had to say. I love that tease there, uh, Taryn. So we'll plug that some more. Uh, again, fans, you can find that at NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com, that full interview with assistant coach Ian LePerrier. Um, And we debated, though, those on the end-to-end to, end to team awards, guys. And, Taryn, you are just talking about going back and forth even on the defenseman topic. Like, can we just say overall that that was a pretty tough, like, just, like, sort of predicting what awards would be. It was kind of tough. Like, I, I didn't know, like, of course, Katria, you could assume for a couple of these. And I'm just mm-hmm. saying overall with those team awards, isn't this a great problem to have? Yeah, like, most were, improved. really really were struggling.
0: Yeah, most improved. I mean, what a wonderful problem to have. But, like, who would have saw Nico Bay q Bell potentially vying for right. that? And all of a sudden, I mean, you can't discount what he did in January and February. So, yeah, I mean... And that was fun in talking to him about that, too, because he's sitting there and he's like, oh, wow, well, we really did have a lot of guys. You know, there were quite a few of them where I was like, talking to you guys, I'm trying to think, I have a list in front of me here. Like, class guy award, heart of the team. I mean, you could make an argument for like four players on each of those.
2: I think we all had, it was myself, uh, Katie Emmer, Taryn Hatcher, and Brooke Destra debate these on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. And I think... For the majority of them, we all had, like, different selections. And it was before mm-hmm. we even talked about it. Like, hey, let's, yeah. let's try to, like, be a little different here. Like, no. Like, and that just, yeah, Katie said it spot on. It's a good problem to have that, you know, we're finding it really difficult to debate. Whereas the year prior, the you know, the awards were kind of obvious. It was just like, okay, Sean Couturier was the best player. Ratko Gudis was the best defenseman because, unfortunately, Shane Gossespare and Ivan Prober had down seasons. And that was kind of obvious. Travis Sanheim was the kind of obvious, most improved. Whereas like this year, you just had so many candidates. Um, and that's a product of them getting so much better as a team. That was exciting to see. Yeah. And
1: yeah. once again, not a bad problem to have for sure. Uh, but yeah, again, excited to hear more of that interview on uh, on NBCSportsPhiladelphia.com. Moving to another topic, guys. Uh, we talked about this before we started recording today, just nonchalantly as hockey fans. Um, any news we can get about the NHL, you know, potentially coming back or what the format's going to be? I know on the last episode, Jordan and I, you know, we were talking about the four NHL arenas, uh, Bettman's latest remarks, right? So now we see John Scott um, coming out uh, on Twitter saying that he believes training will start up on June 1st. Away from that comment, like, what do you think could make him believe that? Would it be what we're seeing with the NBA that, you know, for for states or cities that are opening up, um, or, or what is it? How do I say this? Lightning restrictions? Yeah. Uh, rolling Anything back restrictions. restrictions. Yeah. Thank you. That's the word I'm looking for. Um, would it be because of that, that the NBA is saying, hey, you know, players in these given states or cities are, are able to practice if if it is, you know, part of the protocol of where your specific location is? Or, um, I mean, Terrence, starting with you, what, what, what do you think would give him the reason to maybe predict it would be June 1st?
0: Well, it's interesting because Kevin Hayes, of course, said that, he didn't see anything happening until after July 15th. So to me, I'm sort of like, this is one of those things where I've heard things and then you hear something else and it, and it contradicts. And, you know, I know the players have said through and through, I want to get started as soon as it's safe, but I wish as soon as it was safe was a little bit sooner for a multitude of reasons, obviously. Um, but it did, I mean, in terms of the pause, the NHL really did follow the NBA on that. Um, and for obvious reasons, I mean, when the whole thing happened with Rudy Gobert and I don't think the NBA really had a choice and which kind of forced the NHL's hand, I think a little bit in that. But I certainly think if you see the NBA doing something, the NHL will not be far behind in doing that. But it's just, it's curious to me because it makes me wonder about where Kevin Hayes got what he said from. And if there's some discord between what the league wants and what the players want. I know that you and I talked about this on our Instagram live the other day, Katie, is that when the interview was conducted with Craig Ruby, which we also have on NBC he was very much speaking from the point of view of what he's heard from the league, which is that they want to get the season done. They want to get a cup awarded. They, they want to get things going. Um, obviously within the scope of everything being okay. But then you have Drew Doughty and I talked to Sean Couturier the next day, you know, Drew said that he didn't see the season going off at all. And then Sean Couturier the next day when he talked to me had a lot of concerns in terms of we have to do this in a way that makes sense, not just for this year, but the year that follows because everyone's trying to stay in shape right now. It's not a true off season. We have no roadmap in terms of getting in shape in order to play again. And then we could potentially be doing this for, I don't know, another month. And then do a training camp. And then you have to play intro games. And then you maybe go right to the playoffs. And then you're not done playing until well into what would be your off season. And then you really don't have a break until you play another season. And bodies just are not made to play two consecutive NHL seasons with no true pause. So, it's interesting because I I wonder where certain things are coming from. I wonder what the NHLPA has to say about the June situation. Um, But that's that's sort of been the theme of this whole thing is a a lot of questions, a lot of timelines, a lot of moving timelines. I would love to see hockey back, and I, I love the Four Cities idea as much as I hate broadcasting from the PNC arena because it's just <laughs> that wind tunnel where you interview players <laughs> and it looks like I'm in a tornado. Um, it's one of my favorites
2: for you. What? It's one of my favorites for you. Thank you. I was- <laughs> um,
0: but, like, I'm not going to be selfish, selfish yeah. if hockey's back. I'm happy to do hockey in any capacity. Um, anything to get skates back up on the
1: ice, too. Yeah. Like, anything yeah. to have game action return at this point. Yeah, spot.
0: but – June certainly seems optimistic, but I based on everything I've seen, sports fans are dying for, for content. So Yeah. yeah I feel
2: um, like that. You think about John John Scott's a former player. So maybe he you know, he talks to some people within the league. Obviously, he probably has plenty of connections. So mm-hmm. he's he's probably heard June one as that day, but I don't think anything is firm set in stone. That's probably maybe the hope right now for the league. And yeah. it would make sense. I, if you look at the map from now. It gives them one more month, all of May, to hopefully have things take positive strides uh, with, you know, with this pandemic. So it gives one more month for teams to kind of prepare, get ready. Hopefully, you know, restrictions are lightened. Um, Then it gives you all of June for to finally get teams kind of back together. And then it sets up maybe a two to three week training camp where teams can kind of practice and prepare. And then it sets up for, yeah, July return. So to me, I think that's, that's probably a scenario that's been talked about, and it's probably, uh, you know, maybe a hopeful scenario for the league of like, hey, here's a roadmap of planning this all out. But I still think things are far from decided. Uh, yeah. It really is a day-to-day thing. So I don't doubt that John Scott probably heard that. He's a former player. He's probably plugged, he's probably <laughs> plugged in. Uh, but I don't think the NHL has come down and hammered down these specifics and said, this is what we're doing. I think that's just probably a hopeful scenario. And, yeah, heck, we would love it. And it it would make sense in that regard. But I still think it would go even later. I'm
1: not mad about the optimism. I mean, why not? not? You know, at this point, you're completely right. Like, nothing is set in stone. Even if John Scott says something, it's not official, of course. We all know that. But it is fun. It, 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 like, adds a little bit of, you know, light to your day. Like, okay, maybe we could think about that. Like, I love these little – yeah. You can call them hot takes. I would love to see that. And, and, Taryn, you had a great point saying that, you know, you could see the NHL following suit with the NBA. And, and with that, just the spark of, okay, the NBA, you know, the training, you know, they can open back up, like I said at the top of this, if there are certain uh, states have eased restrictions. It is interesting, though, because the last time we heard Gary Bettman talk, he said that there he's in constant contact with Adam Silver, but he doesn't plan for the NHL to follow any – of uh, what the nba does and with that i think the starting dates you could maybe assume are you know the nba if they're going to start back up you could see the nhl follow with that i think maybe um and even jordan too i think we're talking he may mean more so with the playoff format that they won't follow exact suit Mm -hmm. i do think they're gonna you know bounce ideas off of each other they probably have been doing this that or this or that this whole time English is a fun language for me today. Um, but yeah, it, it is interesting cuz I was in that same boat. I'm like you're going to see them, you know, do the not the exact same thing, but I could not see the NBA starting and the NHL not doing it or likewise. Yeah. I mean, but the it NBA is says another-
0: go. I think it, it the obviously the the way in which they return will have to be so different because so many players have not even been on ice. So the NBA yeah. could reasonably return to games fairly quickly because a lot of these guys have been able to find some sort of hoop somewhere or get one put up in their backyard. You can't really do that with an ice rink necessarily unless there's a frozen (laughs) pond near you. Um, But I think the actual, once it starts will have to be pretty vastly different, but I there's no world in which I can see the NBA giving a green light and the NHL not, Um, at least not sometime soon after Um, just because I mean, that's what we saw with the pause. I, I, it's it's know, completely I mean, true with,
1: yeah, like, the different it's training. Too.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it's,
1: the different it's, training is just completely opposite from the NBA. But, yeah, I, I agree, too. You're just not going to see it.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah, in basketball, like, you can really – it's tough to simulate game shape really probably in any sport. But basketball, yeah. you can probably do it a little bit better, like she said, because these guys can at least – do all the physical fitness in terms of like on their feet type of stuff to like maintain it's that a long
0: load management term that's yeah. all it is long <laughs> load
2: management exactly whereas like hockey yeah like you hey. guys you have to skate to, to have game shape it's just not it's just not possible and you guys your NBC Sports Philadelphia podcasts are now on the My Teams app listen to Eagle Eye Sixers Talk Phillies Talk and Flyers Talk now
1: and yeah, you guys, speaking of basketball, I would assume all, a lot of our listeners and all sports fans have been keeping up with the Last Dance documentary, the Michael Jordan documentary. So interesting, so fun to catch up on. On that note, let's have a little fun. I want to hear who you guys would love to see have a documentary in Flyers history. Um, I mean, I first and foremost, I would go Chris and He's going to be one of them. But another one would be Bill Clement. And both of these uh, individuals are so interesting. I I work with Chris Terry and I learn something new about him every day. Um, Even when he was on Jordan, he was explaining that Bundy nickname. It's, there's so many cool stories, but Bill Clement, I mean, talk about probably a good 15 part documentary. There is so many interesting parts about him. I would love to see a documentary on either of those. Um, And, and I, you know, Taryn, I'll hand it off to you. I want to hear who you have.
0: Well, Bill, you could do a part just on his, his off, deep woods, deep, uh, bug spray <laughs> commercials back in the day. I love if you just Google bill Clement off commercial, that's great. We'll talk I would about go hockey, Schultz. acting, broadcasting. Yeah. He's got it all. has got yeah. it all. I would go Dave Schultz. I would go old school, broad street bullies, flyer, the enforcer, the hammer, most penalty minutes in a season. I think he had 472 penalty minutes in a season, season one year, something crazy like that. Um, I would definitely go Dave Schultz. I love watching, there's an old Flyers documentary that I I found a while ago on YouTube, and it was all just look at the Broad Street Bullies, but um, Dave just, there's something about Dave as a kid who grew up outside of Philly and grew up with that kind of like, you gotta be like gritty and tough and blue collar to really be like a Philly sports fan, whatever. There was something about him that resonated so much in what the meaning of being a Philly sports fan has become. And I know it comes from that whole team, but when you're on the Broad Street Bullies and your nickname is The Hammer, you are essentially the bully. Um, so i probably go Dave, especially because now he has a pretty interesting perspective on his role as an enforcer too. Yeah. He, he's sort of like not, he sort of has said that he, he regrets a little bit being such a hard-nosed player at times from what I've read. Um, but I would just love to sit down and interview him, too. I get to talk to Bob Kelly every game. I see Bobby Clark around all the time. But um, I just think you get different perspectives from everyone when you talk to them. And I feel like having watched old games that Dave played in, getting talking to him about that time would have been just so fascinating.
2: Yeah, Dave Schultz like epitomized Brawl Street Bullies and those two selections are great because for me, like, you know, we didn't, obviously we weren't alive for the Brawl Street Bullies. So anytime I like learn more about that era and that team, like I'm always just like, wow, I guess such a different time, but it was such a, like a franchise defining era, which I always find cool. Uh, For me, I actually would go, I think Claude Drew would be a really cool one. Obviously I know that might seem like an easy one, but You know, from him coming to the organization when he was like 21 to kind of growing up as like a young kid, becoming a star, playing with some of these really good players among the Flyers to eventually becoming like the leader and then kind of going through the hardships of not winning as much to where he is now. And I just think come 2022-23, that season when he can become a free agent, I think it's just going to be such a crazy time in Philadelphia. It will be really weird to see – what happens at that point when he is finally up for free agency and it'll be a, another franchise-defining moment, a guy that literally grew up in this organization, went through highs, lows, from kid to star to leader, um, tough times, good times, all that fun stuff, to see what he decides to do, if he ends his career here in Philly or if he goes somewhere else and actually wears another jersey. Um, I would just really be anxious to see like, the background, and uh, some behind the scenes of all of that. I think, to me, that'd be really cool. That would be my choice.
1: Gosh, you guys, good ones. We'll yeah. see. Hey, I think we should start um, getting this stuff together. Maybe we could get going on some sort right? of documentary. No, I'm kidding. That's Hopefully, uh, Taryn, as you mentioned, we're all so busy. But hey, maybe we could just, uh, on the side, start pitching some ideas. <laughs> I want to continue to have fun, though. And, and you know, you're talking about uh, Taryn earlier, Ian LaPierre talking about just, like, how big of a hugger he is. Mm -hmm. I'm going to just come out and say that would be the one thing for me on this topic I'm about to bring up. When quarantine is hopefully over soon, when all of this is behind us, what is the one thing besides going to a a hockey game, besides seeing the Flyers in action and us getting back to work, besides work, okay, guys, what is the one thing you're excited to do?
0: Am I first? Jordan looks a little stumped. I'm going to give him some time. So yeah, Taryn. One thing I'm excited to do when this is all over, I mean, I would say go to a Phillies game. I love going outside.
2: That's really good. Tailgating
0: outside, going to a Phillies game with my friends, drinking a few brews, watching a little ball. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) uh, I do. I love – like, Phillies games in the summer are just, like, synonymous to me. It's – all my friends live in Philly. Most of my friends live in Philly. So – that's like a kind of brings everybody from all the neighborhoods to South Philly, and um, and you get a lot of time to hang out because baseball games are long as hell. Um, and then other than that, well, I don't I don't really see this whole thing being over by like Memorial Day weekend. But like a good Memorial Day weekend where you see everybody that you haven't seen at the beach in like a year, and that's really it.
2: Those are good ones, Taryn. I think, uh, man, that baseball one's tough not to steal because, like, I remember when I was in, like, high school, early college, uh, that that run of the Phillies, like, this, like, they were so good. They were winning division after division. Obviously, they won the World Series. Like, Citizens May Park was, like, the place to be in the summer. It was just so fun just to go. For me, I was, like, talking to about this with my friends the other day. It's something so simple and things, like, something we probably took for granted, but, like, just going to like a bar or a restaurant and grabbing like a beer and having dinner. Like that's stuff. Like I can't imagine doing that right now because like, that would be like, Oh my gosh, you went out and we're around people. So for me, like, I'm, just, I'm just looking forward to grabbing a beer and like watching a game and like having dinner with some of like, my friends or something. But uh, that, that's probably what I'm, I'll probably do first once we can. Katie, what about you?
1: Well, yeah, I was just saying at the top, it for sure is hugging. I'm a big, like, I yeah, always, yeah. I hug, like, hello, and then hug, saying goodbye. Like, it's a very, first off, you're not even seeing people to be able to do that. But at the same yeah. time, I'm like, we're doing elbows? Like, yeah. elbow by. Like, I, I don't really know what to do. So for someone like me, I really just can't wait for those sort of simple things. And you do talk, I mean, speaking simple, you guys, going to a baseball game, enjoying your friends and family, going to a restaurant. I think in a, a moment like this, um... I'll just give my, uh, influential speech for the day. I think this is a great time. Okay. For all of us to just appreciate the little things. I, I would think you guys would agree with that. Just, it, it really is, um, just in general for us around the world, of course, everyone's staying safe, but is first and foremost, but also just really appreciating this time. I know our podcast producer, um, Ben Barry is on today. He's talking about how important family is taking this time to just catch up with family. And, um, you guys, you know what? I'm appreciating my time because we're all ch- we're all chatting on the Flyers Talk podcast. You like that transition there? Um, this know. is all good. We we get extra time to to catch up on uh, memories and and catch up, of course, with wonderful guests like Taryn Hatcher.
0: Taryn, thank you for joining us today. It's been so thank fun you for having me. I appreciate ha- being on, coming on, having something to talk about other than what right. ending or what show you're watching or what <laughs> puzzle you're doing. It's great. <laughs> No, it, hopefully you guys, this is, it. you know what, every day,
1: I, I've said this before, I'll say it again, every day is a day closer to, uh, you know, hockey and sports being back and, and uh, normal in our lives being back. But, um, yeah, once again, thank you for joining us right here on the Flyers Talk podcast. Jordan, take it away.
2: Katie and Taryn, thank you. Uh, thank you both very much. Always good to hear your voices, see your faces. Uh, that is the Flyers Talk podcast. Wherever you get your podcast, please rate and subscribe and we can't wait to talk to you next time.
0: And wash your hands.